Hey, science fans. One thing we don't get to talk about enough on this show is environmental concerns, ecology, resources, that sort of thing. I wish we we had more on, on this topic on the show. Fortunately, I found a new podcast that I believe you guys will enjoy called Waterline. Waterline podcast is everything related to water, how to make sustainable irrigation, can water bring peace, how do you uh, keep water clean and and safe and how much money does does our current water system cost in the US what changes can we make and how we use water i just listened to a fantastic episode called water in peace hydropolitics it was all about um, the many different conflicts over different regions of water we've drawn all of these arbitrary lines for our kind of political regions and one thing that we didn't really factor in when doing that was water sources so now there's all of these uncomfortable to say the least conflicts uh, where all of these areas overlap over water sources fantastic episode the waterline podcast is an initiative of israel new tech a part of the israeli ministry of economy and industry so check it out for everything you need to know about the economics political social behavioral technological and environmental aspects of water search for waterline podcast on itunes or in your android podcast app welcome everybody to the first here we are podcast of 2017 welcome to 2017 i hope your 2016 was good i had a uh, i had a fantastic one career wise for me and um and just in in general for the most part some ups and downs as usual my foot's been better you probably won't have to hear about my foot as much in the last month or two it's gotten much better um <laughs> and um also uh i have uh as promised i I actually wanted to get this episode out a couple days ago but i was i was waiting to confirm a couple things i promised some exciting new projects and you got them i had already booked um in uh minneapolis at sisyphus brewery i um next monday and tuesday i'm doing my good trip to a return trip back along the tour but even more importantly i have a new dmt talk that i'm working out this is exceptionally experimental i've never done it in a comedy club before i only did it once at a psychedelic event it went really well i've been wanting to work on it more and so i found this little venue in minneapolis that's kind of perfect for doing experimental things so that's january 9th and 10th i'm doing that and then january 14th this is so new i just booked uh, confirmed this like an hour ago i'll be doing the first live here we are podcast of the year i don't even have guests lined up yet i'm just starting to work on that um but i wanted to get this recorded and downloaded and out to you guys so if you know anyone in minneapolis please tell them to support again that's january 9th and 10th doing my dmt talk um there's gonna be some laughs but it's really just i'm trying to find more ways of of doing um of getting bigger and bigger ideas communicating bigger ideas and more thought-provoking concepts 
to people. So I'm just calling it a talk so people aren't expecting it to be a regular old setup punch comedy show, which it is not. But there are uh, there's going to be some laughs as well. And then on the 14th, I'm, I'm doing the uh, Here We Are podcast live there in the afternoon. We haven't even confirmed the time yet, but... Keep an eye on my Facebook and Twitter. I'll be making that announcement soon, as well as adding it to my site, um, shanemoss.com. And and um, so I'm so excited. I have. Uh, I, I think this is going to be a really good year, especially a good year for the podcast. So uh, as promised, it's just a little update for you. Uh, enjoy today's episode, which was awesome, other than I ran out of space on my memory card. Simple mistakes that you make when you're tired and driving from city to city and run down and not thinking clearly. Um, so there, there is a little bit of a weird edit toward the end. But other than that, um, it's a terrific uh, episode, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I like making it. Talk to you on the backside. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. I'm here today with a return guest, actually. Always exciting. Means they're good. If they returned, it means they were a good guest. Uh, she's a consumer psychologist at the Fisher College of Business at the Ohio State University. Celine Melkoch is back on the show. Thanks, Celine. Well, thanks for, for having me. me back. This is very last minute. We just put this together. You came up. I didn't know you were in Columbus still uh, because the last time you were in yeah. St. Louis. Moved over the summer. Yeah, yeah. How'd the move go? Good, good. Trying to learn the etiquette of being in a football school. Turns out people wear red on Fridays and you get excited about football games and stuff. So we are, we are learning all of that. It's cool. <laughs> learning the culture. It, it's, uh, did you like St. Louis as a city or did you, did you move here like for the position or were you looking for a changed environment? Uh, a little of both. Like, I mean, we loved St. Louis, but we are also loving Columbus now. Uh, yeah. And Seems like a nice city. I've I've never. I usually come here and I do the club that's in like a mini mall, and so <laughs> I don't really, I don't really get the full on cultural experience when I'm here. I've seen a little more of St. Louis. Well, we should take you out nice. next time. Yeah, yeah. And thanks mm-hmm. for coming to my show last night. Um, I, if you haven't seen it, it's a great show. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's what I was hoping you were going to say. I was just kind of. Uh, <laughs> Trying to milk an endorsement out of you. Um, so, so one, let's let, let's go let's go over some stuff that we kind of missed on the last episode, and then let's uh, let's talk about um, uh, some of some of your new research. And, and it's been it's been two years. I, I was saying last night we did this episode recently on on how people perceive time, and I'm definitely never one of those people that's like. Has it been two years? And I so I was like bragging about my <laughs> ability to perceive time correctly. And the nice thing about uh, this podcast and science is I get to be humbled all of the time because you were like, it's been two, you were pregnant last time you were on the show. I was, I was. And now, and now you she's have almost, almost two. 
That's crazy to me. Um, all right. Well, sometimes time uh, sneaks up yeah, on you. It does. And I think we will talk a little bit about time because, Let's you know. Talk about it now. Time fascinates me. And one of the things that's been fascinating me is how we use our time and how we do good with it or, you know, enjoy it or not enjoy it. Uh, we just published a paper with my doctoral student, Gabby Tonietto, where we have found that if we actually take our time, leisure time and schedule it like we are also used to with our phones these days mm -hmm. i'm gonna grab a coffee with my friend at 4 p.m till 5 p.m or i'm just gonna go to dinner at 7 35 because that's when my reservation is we find out whenever we engage in these like scheduling behavior for leisure tasks they actually start to feel like work mm -hmm. we associate work-like qualities to it and then we want to cancel them more and when we engage in them we actually enjoy ourselves significantly less. Yeah. And this was a fascinating thing for us because everybody talks about scheduling as a good thing. If you don't schedule it, I will not get to do it. And it started from a little bit of personal experience, a little bit of marital feud. My husband was like, no, 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 scheduling is a good thing. And I'm just like, I'm going to show you wrong. <laughs> and I did show him wrong, but uh, so yeah, we started with that line. I like, my favorite stuff. thing about you too is you pretty much just work on things that you're arguing about <laughs> and use science to prove the other wrong. That's so hilarious. I would have liked to have Joe on here to bicker with you, but he he lost his voice. Yeah, he did, and and I think he had, he now full on embraced this like not schedule culture. Now that the data proves it, he's on board. You think it's just because you gotta, you, you have to agree with the wife a little bit, though. Your life's gonna Maybe. be a little easier. That might, <laughs> Probably. That <might> <laughs> um, so, I mean, so one, if uh, if if not scheduling things leads to happiness, I must be the happiest person in the world because I'm. I'm completely disorganized. There's certainly some sort of happy medium here because. Because when you're as disorganized as I am, it can create some real, uh, a bit too much chaos in your life. Even as someone who likes chaos, that's, it can cause a lot of problems. No, I mean, I, we don't mean to say that don't schedule and scheduled lives are bad. Right. I think we're just trying to draw attention and say, be careful of what you schedule. Mm -hmm. Because scheduling your work-like tasks and your responsibilities is a good thing. Mm -hmm. But when you start to schedule your personal life... It has some unexpected downsides. Mm. And that's kind of what we're trying to establish, that we, you, you just simply end up not enjoying them as much. You just feel like this constraint on your time starts to wear on you, and you associate negative feelings with it. And when you do it, you just don't enjoy it. This is why people flake and that sort of thing. Exactly. It's, it's uh, interesting because I live in L.A., and... Um, I mean, as we're talking about, I'm thinking about it because kind of a cliche a stereotype of L.A. people is that they're very flaky. But but in L.A., a, a lot of people in L.A. are kind of like in the business of leisure. Like if you're if you're working in the industry or whatever, if, it, if you're, uh, you know, I if I go to meet up with my manager or something, we're we're talking about my career over lunch and it is. Like it's there's definitely much more of this gray area, yeah. much more of this blend of of your your networking. You know, you yeah. you you go to a party. This is networking. You're talking with these big wigs or whatever, and and um and it may, 
maybe maybe that's why people in LA are so kind of quote unquote flaky. And they actually they do seem to be. I mean, that's that's definitely I don't think it's an unfair stereotype. Probably most people in LA would assume that. But maybe that has to has to do with that. It could be. I mean, we we looked at a lot of things and this happens to the extent that you will do what you whatever you're doing, if you view it as leisure, you show this effect. And if you put it under the category of work, then it doesn't. And there's individual differences. Some people view their work as so enjoyable and so much fun that they don't put it under the work category. And others take something like work. I don't know. Exercise is a good example. Some people think it's like a work and a chore. And other thing is their enjoyment. And what we find is that if you view it as enjoyment and schedule it, then you actually get the detriment. If you view it as work and then schedule it, that doesn't have that negative connotation and negative effect. Hmm. Hmm. So what's, so if I want to get together with a friend, how do what I do, do you it? Do? <laughs> so there is, we actually found out there's a good way of doing it. We called it the rough scheduling. So if you say, you know what, let's meet up after dinner or, you know, maybe, you know, for brunch, Mm. referring to categories in your calendar without actually making specific plans mm. seem to actually make increase your chances of doing it and not make it less enjoyable for you at the same time. Huh. So make plans, but just don't make them too specific. This is drawing up all sorts of anecdotal stories in, in, in my own life, which I, I know, <laughs> you know, you want to <laughs> test things, but I'm, I'm not a scientist. Um, my my girlfriend is way I, I the only thing that I'm organized about in life and like like really really on top of is I'm pretty punctual. I'm an overly punctual person. I I use I used to work in a factory and stuff like that. And 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 my my dad kind of I guess was one of the few things he was able to drill into my head um, <laughs> that I didn't rebel uh, enough against and. Uh, I, I usually show up to a place a half hour early, an hour early. I'll read a book and or meditate or whatever. And I, if I, I don't, I'm not an anxious person. If I'm running late to something, that's the only time mm-hmm. that I experience anxiety. So I like to get somewhere and clear my head and then meet with people. My girlfriend is the opposite. Uh, she's just late all the time, and <laughs> all of her friends know she's going to be late. But it's funny because she's she's much more of a social person. Than I am, and I'm I'm not as I mean it's not that I don't like talking with people and everything, but I'm nowhere like she likes talking with strangers and everything. Uh, but maybe the 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 more the more social you are, the more enjoyment. Maybe the the looser you are with it as well, and that's having some effect on your experience with it. This is I'm I'm probably grabbing at straws a little bit, but no, no. I mean it, it it's grabbing us to a different direction, but it's actually taking us to a related direction that we took this project where we have found we then started wondering let me not say what found but just like if you're on time to something you have something scheduled waiting up for you mm-hmm. what happens to the time leading up to it that was the next question we asked so if i have a meeting at four what do i do with my time say between three and four do i use it the same way if i had nothing at four and of course, there's obvious things like you mentioned, you don't want to be late. So you have a preparation for the next meeting. So accounting for all of those, let's take them out of the equation. What happens? Do you have an intuition? Does that time feel like any different talking about time perception? Yeah, I guess. 
A little bit. What are what are the two factors again? Like the two. So the the, the the two groups that we're going to compare okay. is that how the measure is how would you feel about your time between three and four? Okay. And how would you use it if you've got something at four, or you don't have anything at four? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Just much more relaxed and and uh, and. Well, I guess maybe I wouldn't be as on top of things, perhaps, or or as disciplined. But I would feel if I didn't have something afterwards, I would always be much more relaxed. I, I think that when I so have would you do more or less with your time? I would probably do less. I'd probably be a, a little bit looser. Like when I had to schedule this tour, and there was lots of deadlines, which is something that I don't really have that much of in my career. Uh, I was working like 16 hour days, like a lunatic, like on the computer, sending out like 80 emails a day. And that's not how I typically work. I, I put most of my time in just sitting around thinking of jokes, which is a very, <laughs> a very leisurely activity, really. <laughs> Until you put deadlines on it, or maybe not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so we, we actually found almost the opposite effect that you have. Really? Granted, we don't look at deadlines. We just look at boundary conditions, like if there's something just coming up, related or unrelated. So what we find, and I think this is in line with your intuition, though, is that if you've got something coming up at four, that time actually feels shorter. Right. I ask you how many usable minutes you have, and you tell me you've got less usable minutes in that hour if there is something coming up afterwards. Mm-hmm. So that's not too surprising. What's surprising is what you do with the time. We find that if you are in a condition where then time feels scarce, you actually use it less. Mm. You're less likely to do productive things and you're more likely to waste that time. So you're more likely to check your email and go on Facebook than actually read a book. Mm. If I give you the option of actually, do you want to putz around and do nothing or do you want to watch that episode of something that will clearly fit there? Like you have an hour and this show is 40 minutes, you don't want to do it. If I tell you, you can do two tasks, one of them will pay double the hourly rate and will still fit in this time, and the other one will pay much less, but it's going to be very short, people want to do the short thing. Hmm. So people just somehow think that time became scarce and they don't want to use it, hmm. which we thought was pretty counterintuitive because when we schedule, we schedule to get more efficient, as you were alluding to earlier on. We want to do more with our time. That's why we schedule. But then... The time that we didn't schedule actually ends up being underutilized. I'm learning that I'm so much more efficient and happy than I, <laughs> than I ever considered myself to be. <laughs> That's the purpose of this podcast. Yeah, you. learning you're better than you think you are. Oh, well, yeah, I guess so. Hopefully. <laughs> um, well, that's uh, so. So, what what do you do with that then? So, what's so, but but what if you're say you're mindful of this effect? Then can you then go? Well, I know I have something coming up at four, so normally I'm going to be inclined to behave this certain way. But actually, what I want to do is get more work done and use this time more effectively. Um, perhaps, like, like if you have this information, you can know this about yourself and overcome. Uh, this this effect. So we're playing with different things that you can do. None of them has been directly proven just yet, but we have looked at uh, 
possible ways of stacking your uh, meetings and like, you know, have meet back-to-back meetings and then open time to kind of create it, uh, to create that like boundary in one case. And then you have got the unbounded future time to basically do, be more productive if you like. The other thing that we're uh, considering is possibly scheduling more, but like roughly so. So for instance, in our job, we write a lot. And writing is something that a lot of us dread, right? We like thinking about things. We like analyzing data. We like designing experiments. But writing requires like blocking a chunk of time and, and working. And that's the thing that, that's always get put off. So some of the people that I know actually blocks out writing time on their calendar, knowing that they're not going to write the whole time. But putting it in there basically kills this perception of like time is scarce. I cannot do anything right now. I, but instead... They have it scheduled, so they end up doing it. Mm. So it's not clear what the solution to this particular phenomena is, but we find it to be pretty robust. Mm. Um, so what are you? Uh, uh, what are you doing here? Did you did you move to this school to work on different projects or the or the same thing? Or the projects are evolving. There is new quarters, so this is the line of work, this whole scheduling leisure work. It fascinates me how right. we talk about it, but we don't do much with it. Uh, and there is a colleague here, uh, Rebecca Redchex. Uh, she works on lay intuitions people have. So we picked up a third project with her uh, where we are looking at an intuition that we call uh, leisure equals wasteful. We think that a certain group of population actually yes. believes that leisure is wasteful. I know. I've been <laughs> screaming about this for a very long time. Go on. And, and we find that this is a pretty prevalent intuition that people have. And the people who have this intuition behave very differently than those who do not have this intuition. Hmm. Like how? Like how. So they are unlikely to engage in leisure. They are very harsh in judging others who engage in leisure. Also, they are significantly more depressed, anxious, and stressed. Yeah, of course. Uh, they have harder time relate, uh, having relationships. They have a lot of anxiety over, you know, working with their co-workers, uh, sorry, co-workers dealing with their family and friends. Uh, the good news for them is that they tend to make more money. Yeah, But yeah. that's about it. Right. That's really all you get for it. The money that they doesn't ever make them as happy as they would yeah. perceive it to be. <laughs> and like, for instance, when they gain time, when they end up, say, a windfall of an hour, something got canceled, they don't particularly relax. They don't even do that much work, but they keep, keep themselves upset that they did, they were more productive. Yeah, They're obsessed yeah. about this, like, time is a wasting. I should be doing useful things. Yeah. They don't realize that the balance is out of whack and they're actually getting depressed. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I mean, this is this is my mom. I try to explain it to her. <laughs> Just it, it, it works. I mean, my my dad as well, but I think he just manages it better. And uh, uh, but yeah, it's just work, work, work. Get gets home. She tries to like make leisure time for herself. Like, okay, I'll sit down and watch a TV show or read a book or something. And she is passed out in like yeah. 10 minutes. She is exhausted. She is, yeah. This is, this is kind of like, uh, do, do people call it the John Henryism? Uh, have you mm. heard that before? No. I heard some scientists. It's, it's the, 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 um, are you familiar with this, 
uh, like children's story. It's uh, John Henry is a, a lumberjack with an axe, and then this this modern machine came in and 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 this this saw and could cut down trees faster. But he believed that working harder would would ultimately pay off. And so he, I mean, I'm I've read the story since <laughs> as a kid, so I'm butchering it, and I never paid attention in school to silly stories like this anyway. <laughs> But he ultimately chopped down all the trees faster than the saw did and then keeled over and died uh, from it. And and so John Henryism is, if, if I can remember this loosely defined as, as someone who, who just really needs to be taking control all of the time, yeah. needs to have the most control. Like, uh, the, you know, the, the world is not chaotic if you can make it if you can take control no, no. over all this chaos you got to have control over everything that you can you know this idea of like you know have, having control over the or acting on the things you have control over and and not worrying too much about the things that you don't have control over is lost on them everything is yeah. within your control and work themselves uh to death and that is definitely i think part of the mechanism here uh but I think on top of that, like this control mechanism that I think drives a lot of this behavior, we feel like there is this what we call a business premium in our society these days. Like if you're not busy, then you're not worthy. Yeah. Right? Like think back, you know, three, four, five hundred years ago, the rich didn't work. Right. Work was for the, the lower class people. It was a, you know leisure of the riches they were just like sit back and if you worked and if you were tired or if you were busy that was a bad thing that was something to be looked down upon fast forward 2016 when you look at top of the society if those people are idle now they are looked down upon everything just like swapped on his head mm-hmm. not only do they need to be sucks like the, the riches or the people that we look upon are not are they busy working but they also run triathlons they, their leisure is serious. They cannot do casual leisure. They start doing yoga. Before you know it, they're masters and they start teaching yoga themselves. That's finished. Okay, I'm going to start learning some music. And before you know it, they have to play that professionally and be in a band. Like nothing is taken lightly and there's this premium to business. And we are trying to connect this like changing of leisure from being casual leisure where you enjoy yourself and take time as it is versus like if I'm not busy and productive, then it's wrong. Right. Um, I don't know. Uh, one theory is that this goes back to the Protestant work ethic. Religiosity might play something in it. This, this, like, this work ethic of like, if I'm working, I'm a good person, then I deserve things. And we just kind of overextended it mm. and created something crazy. Uh, Are these people still able to be like creative in any way? I, I, because when I work like that, I, I can get lots mm. of tasks done in a hurry, but I, I can't generate really new thoughtful ideas because I'm not, I'm, I'm just not giving my brain a break. I'm thinking we, we don't have data to creativity. Yeah. What we do have is that these people, we looked at what is called the big five personality uh, measures in psychology. Right. We, we, we've talked about it several times on the podcast, so the listeners should be familiar. So uh, they're more neurotic. Go, go back to the first live episode, listeners, if, uh, if, if you're wanting to know more about it. I took the test and we talked about it on stage. Oh, and yeah, you talked about it yesterday, right? Mm-hmm. To, to some extent. So uh, these people are more neurotic, right? Uh, less open. 
mm. for that measure. So that might speak to a little bit of creativity. If they're less open, they might be a little bit less creative. Uh, what else? They are less agreeable, significantly less agreeable. And that's really? where they are like most important uh, characteristic. They're also less conscientious. That's surprising to me. But remember, conscientiousness in this uh, measurement is a little bit interpersonal conscientiousness. It's not always internal conscientiousness. But we, we found it in over and over with different populations. We found it with students. We found it with general populations. So it seems to be pretty robust. These people are basically looking inward and driving themselves crazy because they're just trying to beat themselves at everything. And by doing so, they just close themselves to the outside world and outside people. Yeah, I can see the measure of openness for sure. The, the agreeableness to me seems, I mean, this is just, it seems like, and, and of course with all of this, this is just, you know, on average, this is what yes. you're finding, yes. individual differences, blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, I guess I guess my interpretation of of those people is, is usually they're like super nice and agreeable. I I almost it seems maybe I'm just it's probably this is my bias from within my own family <laughs> where uh, they're just very much like society has this way of doing things and we follow along with it very strictly and then everything will be nice and good and so they, you know they're just they're very pleasant, very nice people. They don't question things. They're not rebellious. So. But but I guess that that doesn't necessarily mean there's plenty of people that aren't rebellious that also aren't uh, are are pretty angry. Yeah. Um, and I think what you're tapping into with your family's story is that they are just following norms. I think they're like it sounds like they're a little bit maybe upset or terrified to break the norms and not yeah, fit in yeah, with yeah, the society, yeah, yeah, and that much. motivates their behavior. Yeah. Not that they truly think that if they didn't work, they would just be wasteful people. Right, right, right. Right. So there is like what we're we trying to tap into is just like if you are relaxing, if you are enjoying yourself, our folks thinks that they are actually like almost lazy bad people. Mm. Right. That that's just like something entirely different. These people that we think are going to be, we are still working on it. They're going to be multitaskers. Like you know, they're going to sit down to watch something on TV to enjoy themselves, and then they will open up their laptop and start to do stuff that they didn't finish during the day work day i i feel bad for these people because honestly it's like it it's it's uh, i mean uh time flies when you're grinding against the clock i yeah. i used to work in a factory at like uh piece rate the more that i made the more money i'd make so it wasn't it was different than other jobs yeah. where you might be looking at the clock like, hey, when do I get out of here? And you're like, oh, no, I, it's almost this time and I haven't completed this number of things. It's a totally different thing. And, and uh, time, which we have this limited amount of in our lives, and you'd think you'd want to perceive as much of it as you can unless yeah. you're in like a lot of pain or something like that. You, wanna, you want that to zip right by. But it, it takes something like meditation which is about the most relaxing thing that you can do. To meditate for 10 minutes, especially if you're unfamiliar with it, can seem like, like an, an hour. exceptionally yeah. <laughs> long time. It can be very difficult. And, uh, and it, it doesn't take much. Little bits go a long way. I mean, I, I think that also, uh, I, I wonder if some of these people, if they, like within their leisure activities, are they also kind of like, 
okay, everyone's watching the show right now, so I'm going to binge watch the show. I need to, I need to get through all of it. I, I need to keep up with the local sports team so that I can talk about that at the, at the water cooler. And, and you need, like, not so much. It's a different idea than just, like, I'm going to sit back and just think for, like, 30 minutes. I'm just going to lay down and just think about some stuff. I, we don't have the data, right. but we think that's exactly what we're going to find. Like we were actually speculating the other day. So again, no data. This is just like right. the research had talking. You're on the right uh, podcast for speculation. <laughs> perfect. All about. Uh, so Rebecca, my co-author, was saying like, you know, I wonder if these are the people that when they take on biking, they have to go buy the best bike and then the best gear and everything. And we see them in our streets. They just like gather together and they just like now have to be the best and make the most of it. Right, and they cannot take it seriously. They cannot just go on a bike ride and relax and look at the trees. They just have to be intense about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, it's just like okay, now on, let's race. And I'm like, no, let's hear the leaves and you know watch the air and the wind. Like there's so much sensation here, but no. Mm. So I think it connects to mindfulness a little bit. Uh, and and we joke, like, I think this connects to the phenomenon of people taking classes to be mindful these days. Right. So it's it just goes a... Uh, Is that a thing? Yeah. In, in like, colleges, you mean? Uh, colleges, self-help, self-help stuff, all, all sorts oh, of, like, God. so mindfulness is a big thing. People are upset that they're not mindful enough. They cannot be in the moment, but they have to go take a class to learn how to do that because they drove themselves crazy to get there. Hmm. Well, I use this app Headspace, and I had the founder on. It's a really great uh, uh, program. It's like very it's demystified completely. There's no like shocker talk or anything like. It's just you're just doing the practice, and uh, and and it was like kind of life changing for me. Not that it worked for everybody, but for me, as an individual, it worked very well. And I had I had the guy on. And he was t- I guess every time you buy a subscription, they give a subscription to like a prison or or to oh. uh, to um, like a grade school or or something like that, and and so I guess it is starting to because so many of these things are that frustrate me when I look back. I'm like, why wasn't I taught meditation when <laughs> yeah. I was like five years old? I I was I was raised in an environment like the idea of meditating was like. <laughs> careful you're gonna turn gay if you, if, you, if you close your eyes for 10 minutes the gay will get you and i mean it was just this kind of like it's so absurd you know it's and just very fearful and that that is like an outcome of yeah. being around these kinds of people just like scared of like just taking a minute or or like like uh you know, yoga was had such a stigma for so long as well that you were. I mean, I guess it still seems like a feminine-ish thing or something like that. But men probably oh, need yeah. it more than more than women do as far as mobility and stuff. But um, yeah, I, I, well, I'm anyway. I'm yeah. off on a tangent. I'm just happy that these things are. That's exciting that these things are being taught. Um, taught research. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot. Mindfulness became a very hip thing. I think with yoga and meditation and so forth. So like there is there is a lot of it going on. But one could argue that you shouldn't need it so much if you could actually be a little bit more in the moment as you go around in life. And my personal sense is that in the last 50 years, the world and all these intuitions that we are studying is taking us to a place that we need it more than ever. Mm. Like 
I don't think our hunter and gatherer ancestors needed mindfulness because they didn't they have the, the lion. Moment. They were in the moment. <laughs> like they were in the moment. Otherwise, they're going to be eaten by a lion. That's it. Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting point. So I think there's a lot of evolutionary routes to this, which we are not looking at, but there's outcomes that can further perpetuate the moves. Uh, like, I think this is totally leading to kids being ridiculously overscheduled. Yeah. Right. They are related phenomena. Like, if they're actually yeah. playing in the backyard doing nothing, they are wasting their time. They should be learning yeah, something right yeah. now. And I'm cut like, recess, cut art. Like, hell no. They should be playing. They're kids. That's how they learn. Yeah. Well, we were just talking about on a, on a podcast. Let's see when's this going to come out? Um, I don't know. It, it, it was a recent one, like, say, three weeks ago. Um, I just recorded it yesterday, but um, and and we are talking about um, how uh, how potentially creativity is uh, allowing people to make better predictions about life and able like the more creative you are, the more able you are actually able to visualize different outcomes and outcomes that other people mm. haven't considered and even maybe project further into the future. And, and it's not tested, but maybe these, these people would be able to make better predictions. And mm. certainly, certainly most people that are entrepreneurs are highly creative pers- people. It, does, it really seems like there's like kind of a war on creativity right now. I, I mean, with Adderall and everything, like, yeah. you have to pay attention to this. I'm not saying there's not some exceptionally small popula- part of the population that can benefit from it, but it's definitely overprescribed. I agree. And, um, and, and our instruction system is not helping it either. Like my five-year-old son, we had to work very hard to find what they call an informal education system where... It's not around scheduled tasks, sit down, face forward. Like that's that's not conducive to learning at any age. Even in colleges right now, we moved away from it, right? Like we have class discussions, we break them into groups, we talk with them, we do cases, interaction. Like if I talk, somebody listens, that's not a good way to learn. That's certainly not a good way to get creative. Mm-hmm. So taking it to... 20 years earlier to little kids, like they should really be creative at this age because that's what they do. That's when they expand their horizons and we kind of take that away from them. With our, like, if you're not productive, you're wasteful and leisure is wasteful intuitions. Yeah, that's, uh, it, it seems like there's less recess and less everything else. And I, I mean, I thought it was absurd when I was in school that you'd go from one class and then have five minutes to get to the next class mm-hmm. and then sit and listen to this person go on and on about the. I, I mean, I I didn't really get it. It's like I was I was a horrible student, and it's like I mean, I would I would start the school year and be at the top of the class, and then two weeks later, I'd be like, no, no thanks, I'm not doing any of this, and uh, it would just burn me out so fast because so I'm still just bitter about it. I'm sure it does benefit some people. Some people really like structure, you know, yeah. and and I'm just not one of those. People, it's like I can learn. I just want to learn what I want to learn yeah. about. And there's predictable individual differences about needing structure versus needing the space to be creative. Yeah. Uh, and but but I, I I really like your suggestion that we should look at creativity with this because I bet we would find differences that this intuition people who actually believe. 
that they shouldn't be having leisure and they should be always productive will end up being significantly less creative. This is my own experience of my life. When I have, when I have to email lots all day or whatever it is, and I'm running around with like a chicken with my head cut off, I'm making lots of mistakes all over the place and I'm not coming up with new material. All, all the creative aspect of, of what I do just goes away. It's it, 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 if I'm focused on just like, okay, I got to reach out to bookers. I got to do this, but I can have balance if it's a regular day and I do a few emails, book a few things, I do a little promotion stuff and then I can write and it's not a problem at all. But, and, and all my creativity is still intact. Mm-hmm. But when I'm working like, 12-hour days in front of the computer just trying to organize everything. Where do I need to be? What's my hotel going to be? Yeah. It's, it all goes away. See, it, it makes me think if this is connected to some work that uh, my friends actually and, and colleagues uh, at University of Minnesota have done, uh, Kathleen Voss and Joe Redden, what they have found is that if your office is tidy, you're much less creative. And if you actually have a messy office, that you're not into structure that much, you become significantly more creative. Um, yeah, I, there's, what's the, uh, isn't there an Einstein quote or it was at least attributed to Einstein? I'm not sure if it's true. What most good quotes were. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if it was actually him, but they attributed it to him. Um, Einstein, um, messy. Shane is searching on his phone right now. Messy desk, uh, quote. Hold on. I'm sorry, listeners, for this is not nearly as important as I'm making it right now. Uh, if a cluttered desk is a sign of a cluttered mind, of what then is an empty desk a sign of? <laughs> so emptiness is, is, is a whole different factor. But I think, uh, I don't know, empty mind, empty desk, I totally buy it. Cluttered desk, I was raised, talking about our family stories, right? To be tidy, always everything in its place, borderline OCD. And now I read this research by people that I actually really trust. And they're telling me, like, if I actually organize my office like I always like to do, I'm actually going to be less creative. And I'm in the work of being creative. Yeah, yeah. So that's saying something, right? Like, we teach people to be always organized. And I don't think it's like messy versus organized. It's this imposed structure that actually goes back to creativity. Yeah, people like I drive people crazy. They're like, "How do you keep?" Tra-? I'm like, I know where everything is. I know it looks like a disaster, <laughs> but I know just where everything is. It's where I where I put it. Like what? It's been when whenever I'd live with a a girlfriend, they would like pick up after me. That's what would drive me crazy because then I wouldn't. Like if now the, you don't know where things are. Yeah, if the keys are in the key dish, like how would I ever find them? Because I would <laughs> never put keys in the key dish. That's the, the place is freezer, idea. right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, just in the corner on the floor somewhere. I'll find them right there. Uh, I, I actually sometimes I'll I'll go out of my way and I'll be like, oh, here's a smart, organized way to put something. And then I'll never find it because I'll look everywhere else because I know how my brain <laughs> operates. I'm like, well, I wouldn't put it in the right place. <laughs> so you cannot trick yourself. <laughs> I, I can't. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, uh, well, so, hmm. I, I, so 
what is so people should just be given the opportunity to organize things in their own you, you just think there's like too much pressure to be like everyone needs to have this file cabinet needs to be in alphabetical order and that and that for some people just isn't going to work very well I mean, I, I don't particularly study creativity, but the little that I know from it is just like an over-organization basically puts you into the box. Mm. And once you can actually relax that organization around you, it opens that box a little bit and ergo being able to think outside of the box. I wonder if I can be creative and still have my shit together because <laughs> sometimes it causes me some issues a little bit here and there. You know, I, w- I would like to be like a cleaner person. And well, I suspect with everything else, there is a happy medium a there. There's a balance there. There's a balance yeah, there. Yeah. So what's, what's some aspect of your work that you wish that everyone knew about if, if they knew this, this would lead to ultimately better well-beings in their lives, maybe happier society in general. Who knows? I don't know. I think with this new line of work that uh, my student, Gabby Tonietto, and I have been working on for a few years now, our hope is to inform people of how to better use their time to make themselves happy and more efficient. Uh, most of this work has been inspired by... In- you know, personal experiences. We had a hard time with these things and we looked inside and then we realized that others have similar problems. And we are, we are hoping that people will say, I'm hoping what people will realize is that leisure is not meant to be structured. It's By definition, it needs to be free-flowing. And if you take that quality away, you're, you're messing up with the intention. Mm. Uh, serious leisure is a thing. People want to engage in serious leisure, like those bikers that we talked about. That's okay. But you have to make place for casual leisure in your life where you don't have a name. You're not trying to gain a skill in your life. You're just trying to be mindful here. Enjoy yourself. And I think if you do believe that if when you're having leisure, you're idle and you're wasteful, I'm going to try to find ways to tell people that that's not the case because I want people to be successful. I think success is a good thing, but not at the expense of being a whole person and a whole society. Uh, I think I see that stark difference coming from, you know, a European mindset where leisure is valued and arguably people are happier, uh, at least in some dimensions. Places where there's like siestas and stuff like that. I mean, they're less productive and I'm not arguing for siestas, but I think there right, is like right. a happier guy or like not even like eight week vacations like friends has. Right. But there is a way of, I think government doesn't have to give you more vacation. I hope they would, but I doubt it with this new president. But, <laughs> but it doesn't have to come from the government. You can train yourself to yeah. use your time better, make time for leisure enjoy your time better and rid yourself of extra stress that you put on yourself. I mean, I think that could, I, I mean, wasn't, I think the invention of like the break in the first place was, was just, was just these companies realizing that all these mistakes would be made. You could only work people so hard for so long. It wasn't like they're giving them breaks out of the goodness of their heart or anything. They just realized that productivity would increase and maybe we'll realize uh, or quality, um, uh, more so probably quality, uh, would increase. And maybe we'll realize that when we give people a few more minutes, 
mm-hmm. on breaks and and things like that to yeah. be a little more relaxed people will come back but quite honestly like the little data that we have this is just brand new study that we just analyzed last week is that more time is not always a solution it's like what's your mindset when you're using the time matters more yeah. we looked at this intuition of like leisure equals wasteful and we looked at what people do when they get a free hour out of nowhere mm. right? they just gain that hour it's a windfall gain and do they actually use it do they relax more are they even more productive and it turns out they're neither productive no relax, but they're extremely unhappy that they weren't more productive. Mm. So like they treat this windfall hour partially like a windfall hour, but then they get pissed at themselves that they weren't more productive. Mm. So it's, it's almost like it's not that you don't have time. When I give you time, you still don't use it the way that you should. Right. You, you either should commit and be productive so that you'll have free time in the future or allow yourself and say that this is my time off. I'm going to enjoy this hour. But there's this inherent guilt that's just like bugging at people, it sounds like, that they just can't. Even with vacations and stuff, it's like, I have to have the biggest vacation. We, yeah. we talked a bit about this the last time. Yeah. Or, I, I have to see the most number of places. I yeah. cannot lay down on the beach and listen to the waves. I might actually must get up and play volleyball because that's what productive people do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, do you have a charity you'd like to plug? Uh, in the light of the recent election, I'm going to say anything civil rights. <laughs> Whatever you want to do, yeah. I'm fine as long as it's civil rights. Last time it was children because I was pregnant. This time it's after election. So Yeah, yeah. It put, uh, put, um, count, count the number of people in the Klan rallies that were celebrating Trump's victory and then give $1 for each of those people toward the NAACP or some organization like that so you can see yeah. the real impact those idiots have and uh well i'm so happy that you found time uh to uh to hang out found time to come to my show and lovely having you back it was great to be back thank you thank you listeners for being a wonderful creative uh knowing exactly how to use your leisure time correctly (laughs) by listening to this podcast people you guys are great All right, everybody, I updated you with a couple of the new shows. I have more live podcasts coming and and just more stuff on the way. I'll be announcing um, very, very soon real exciting new projects. But I also have um, some new dates that I've added for the Good Trip Tour, uh, which is almost over, but I might be extending a little bit. Um, But I just thought I'd run through them quick. So depending on when this episode actually gets out, starting January 5th, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, then Omaha, Des Moines, Iowa, Minneapolis, Appleton, Wisconsin, Eau Claire, Winona, Minnesota, Royal Oak, Michigan, uh, some other Michigan dates, Grand Rapids, Kalamazoo, Lansing, I'm doing South Bend, Indiana, uh, Los Angeles, Largo, February 1st, that is a big one, the biggest one of the tour, uh, and I'd love to set Los Angeles, um, get Los Angeles buzzing about the stuff that I'm doing. So if you have um, any friends around there, that would be super helpful. Jacksonville, Florida, Sarasota, Miami, Key West. And right now that is the end of the tour, as I planned it that way, ending it in Key West. But uh, now, because I thought I would need a vacation, but now I'm feeling a little recharged. I'm thinking about extending the tour because I am a crazy person, as you well know. 
Um, all right. Well, anyway, guys, thank you as always for the support, the reviews, spreading the word, all of that good stuff. And thank you just for listening and being awesome people. Those of you that listen to the end, you're my favorite. I'm the host of Never Seen It, the podcast where comedians rewrite famous movies and TV shows they've never seen, and then we give them a read in studio. This is a clip I want to play for you guys from an episode where Langston Kerman rewrites Scarface. He's never seen it, but he wrote a script based on what he thinks he knows about it. And here's a clip. Give it a listen. All right. Scarface, the new frontier. Interior, happening discotheque. Remember when we call clubs discotheques? <laughs> LOL. The 70s were crazy. Night. The crowd bustles with young, hot Mexicans who are supposed to be Cuban and all are dressed in butterfly collared shirts and pants that look like Jinko jeans and pleated khakis had a really weird baby. <laughs> There's sex in the air and Poppy wants a whiff. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Scarface, 22 to 45. <laughs> like he's a television audience demographic? Devilishly handsome. Not even a little bit Italian looking, so get that out of your dumb brain. Walks through the crowd with the confidence of a man who's going on MTV Cribs with the Ying Yang Twins. One day. Does he actually have a scar on his face? Fuck no. Why would he even why would you even ask that? That's not important. What's important is that he is not at all a problematic stereotype <laughs> and that he has come for his cocaine. <laughs> As he approaches the red rope of the VIP, pronounced V-A-P-E in Spanish, (laughs) he spots his dear friend, who is almost certainly going to become his enemy by the end of the film, Smooth Skin. Scarface yells out his signature line. (laughs) Ciao, Bella. It's me, Scarface. Oh, my God.